one out. If you want to, you can uh, open up to Luke, the first chapter. That's where we're going to begin in just a moment. And you might want to place your marker there in Luke 1, because we're going to be going back and forth a little bit tonight between the Gospels of Mark and the Gospels of Matthew. Uh, and so if you want to mark one of them, you take your pick which one you want to do it in, but you might just want to throw a marker down if you're not using a digital, uh, digital text in that way. You know, if you're like me and you've been reading through with the idea of our theme this year of being holy for I am holy, You've been reading through your Bible and you've come across people who are called holy. Maybe you've asked yourself the question like I have, what made them holy? Because sometimes it comes across as people that you wouldn't have actually thought they would be called holy, right? And so on Sunday nights here throughout the year, I'm going to talk about several different people who have been called holy and maybe try to figure out a little bit of Well, what made them holy? Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you this right off the bat. It's not always simple. It's not always easy to see, oh, this is what made them holy, you know? But I think as we consider that question and we think about it from our own perspective, when I give you a character and their name, most of the time you're going to know their name. And what I want you to do is I'm not going to tell you what I think is the things that make them holy to begin with. We'll save that for the end of the sermon. But I want you to be considering that question as we just remind ourselves maybe of their story and of their life. And I'll just highlight a few things in that. So tonight, the first one that we want to begin with is a guy that you probably know pretty well. He was a guy that had a pretty important job. And he was a guy that was put in prison... And he was beheaded. And that probably tells you John the Baptist, right? You know who calls John the Baptist holy? Mark calls him holy in Mark the 6th chapter and verse 20. But Mark doesn't say he was a holy man. Mark says that there was someone who regarded him as holy. And that would be Herod the Tetrarch. And it says there in Mark chapter 6 and verse 20, For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. I can't tell you how many times I have read that in Mark chapter 6, and the word holy has not jumped off the page to me at all. I've not considered John the Baptist as, quote, a holy man. Which seems weird, right? Because you say John the Baptist, like... That dude is like for real. He's on up there in the annals of human history of important people and godly people. But yet for me, he was never thought of in terms of the holy man. So here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at three things at which the people really took notice of in John the Baptist. And we've used different definitions for holy, and I'll just remind us of a couple of them, right? The word meaning that you are set apart to God or for God, right? We've seen holy mean that. We've also seen holy just mean someone who is different or something that is different. And we'll see that in John's life as well. So just think broadly about what makes them holy as we consider it. We begin here in Luke chapter 1, if you're still there in your text. 
the very first thing that we want to note as we go down to all after John is born, and we'll come back to it in just a second, but what we want to note is that the people, they recognize that his birth was different. You remember his parents' situation, right? If you're there in Luke chapter 1, the first few verses of, of the text tell us that his father was a priest. And he was old in age. And his wife, Elizabeth, had no children. And guess who knew that? Everybody knew his father and mother were old and they had no kids. Who's supposed to be having kids when they are old? Today we have it a little easier, don't we? You freeze eggs or you get all kinds of other things that happen and I don't know how it all happens. But people have children a lot later in life today than maybe throughout generations past. But not probably this late in life. We don't know exactly their age, but they would be up there. And the point is, everybody knew that they were past the age of having children. But yet... They have a child, right? Now, you remember the other thing about them. It's the time for Zechariah to go and serve at the temple. And he was of the family of Abijah, the order of Abijah. And remember Michael made a reference a few weeks ago to the 24 orders of the priests, where they took a lot in, I believe it's First Chronicles chapter 24, where they decided, okay, here are the 24 families of the priests, and this is the week in which you will serve in the temple. And they each served the week by their lot. And so the first week started with this one, and the next week this one, and so on. And I believe Abijah was the eighth. So about the eighth week down in there. And it's that time, and so Zechariah is chosen to go in to offer, as you would see, incense at the table, right? Before the most holy place, is where the incense would have been. And he would have gone in there to light it. And while you went in there to light it, you probably would have been praying. And so you'll notice as we pick up in our story in verse 10, that the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside for the hour of the incense offering. And while he is praying, that angel of the Lord appears to him as we just read a moment ago, and he tells him, you're going to have a son. And he tells him his son's going to be special. He's going to be joyed at the birth. And many will rejoice at his birth. And he's going to turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers and all those various things. And Zechariah says, yeah, you got that. You're exactly right, angel. That's exactly what's going to happen. No, remember, he doubted. And because he doubted in all of that, you remember the thing that happened to him. He was unable to speak. Now here's the interesting thing about it. Everyone knew that he could speak when they came in, but notice the reaction of the people when he comes out in verse 21. The people were waiting for Zacharias, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. Why hadn't this dude come out yet? So 22. He came out. He was unable to speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them. They remained mute. And when the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. He couldn't talk to them. And he couldn't talk to them the rest of the time he was there. 
And they're like, he saw a vision, but we don't know what that was all about. They knew it. Well, as the story would go, right? Goes home, wife conceives, has a child. Time to name the baby. The baby is born. And eight days at the circumcisions when they name it, they don't choose a name of the family name, right? They settle on a different name. And Elizabeth says, we're going to name him John. And everyone's like, you can't name him John because that's not a family name. Imagine a Jinx having a son that was in the Ed Jinx family and don't throw Ed Jinx in there. We'd be like, do what? You're not going to name him Ed Jinx the the 18th, uh, right? No, you're going to name him that. No, his name will be John. And when the father wrote that down, you remember he was able to speak. And I want you to notice the reaction of the people in verse 65 and verse 66. Fear came on them all as he began to speak and praise God. And all that were around them and all the matters were being talked about in the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them and kept them in mind, they said, what will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. The child is eight days old and they said, hold on. What is this guy going to be? There's a question about what is said. Remember, next, Zacharias is filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies that maybe the reaction of the people is after he prophesies this, after he says these things, to which we'll point out in just a second. But we have to mention his name, John, first. It's not Zacharias. It's not Abijah. It's not Aaron. It's John. Why John? Well, because John means the Lord is a gracious giver. And you would see that in John's life. He shouldn't have been born. The Lord gave him to these righteous, blameless people. And when he comes on the scene, what he is going to do is he is going to give gracious words which have never been spoken. That no one has ever really declared in the same way as himself, he is going to show that the Lord is a gracious giver. And the people recognize that from his birth. The Lord was with him. He said, what will this child be? Well, so he's like Jesus. We don't learn much about him again until he's an adult. And he comes on the scene some 20-something years later, and he appears out in the wilderness. And we learn that he dwelt in the region there until his public appearing. And he shows up, and what we notice is that the people recognized that he was different. They recognized, hold on, he is not like everyone else. They recognized him, as we well know of, as a prophet. And you say, what's that matter? Why did they recognize him as a prophet? What's different about that? What was his family lineage? He should have been a priest. But instead of a priest, he's a prophet. And so you'll go back there, if you're still there in Luke chapter 1, notice one of the things that his father says on his eighth day, alive, as they went for the circumcision, 
In verse 76, as he's talking about this son that was just born, he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You're going to be called the prophet of God. You're his prophet. And for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because, and here's the gracious giver, because of the tender mercy of our God from which the sun rise from on high, Jesus will visit us. How did, what? That's not what your son's supposed to be. So how did they know that he was a prophet? Well, I'll give you a couple of things that were interesting about that. The people believed that. And you would see that in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 5 when the story is recounted of when he was beheaded. The people regarded him as a prophet. And because of that, you remember Herod was afraid of the people because they regarded him as a prophet. So what made someone a prophet? They spoke on behalf of God or they got a message from God, right? I want you to notice something about We're talking about John the Baptist. What did he wear? It's interesting that we are told about John the Baptist. Flip over to Matthew, the third chapter. And you would see that we learn about his attire. And it's a pretty interesting attire, right? You see in verse 4, John himself, he had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. Uh, you, You can look it up. You can Google it. Camel's hair is not soft. Campbell's hair is very coarse. It is uncomfortable, to say the least. And that's what he wore. And he ate locusts and honey. Now you say, well, that's gross. Do you believe they still eat locusts in that part of the world today? It's a delicacy. And there's some question about how they ate the locusts. We would see in the book of Leviticus that it was okay for Israelites to eat locusts. But imagine you don't really have a lot of money. And guess what you have to live off of? The land. And the land was a land that was flowing with milk and honey. And you would find it in the trees. You would find it in the rocks. And so you'll remember that story back in the time of Saul and David. When Saul made that rash vow when they were chasing Don't let anyone eat anything until we caught the enemies there. I believe it was the Philistines in that case. And Jonathan, his son, didn't hear that. And Jonathan saw the honey dripping from the tree, and he had the honey, and he said his countenance changed. Apparently that was the land. That it was easy to find that type of stuff. What you had, you had John living off the land with the locusts and the honey, but his clothes. Why even bring up the fact that he wore this? There's a couple of reasons, but I'll give you the, the one I think it is. is because that was the attire of prophets. Prophets wore this type of coarse Material, And so that reminds us of a prophet of the Old Testament. I want you to go to 2 Kings, the first chapter. In 2 Kings, the first chapter, we've been learning about Elijah for a while. 
He has already told Ahab and Jezebel. He has already run away from Ahab and Jezebel. And Ahab is now dead and his son is now reigning in his place. And his son fell through the, fell through the roof and he is in trouble. And so his son, who is king, sends messengers to this false god named Beelzebub or Belzebub. And he goes to Ekron, which is one of the Philistine gods, okay? Well, the Lord tells Elijah, you go and you meet him and you say, you're going there because there is no God in Israel? And Elijah goes. And Elijah cuts off these men and he tells them, you go and tell, you go over there because there is no God in Israel. And the king is surprised when they come back so quickly. So now pick up in verse 7. The king said to him, What kind of man was he who came to you and met you and spoke these words to you? Who was it? And notice the answer. A hairy man with a leather girdle about his loins. And he said, Oh, that's Elijah. Now, you might say a hairy man. What would we normally think of? Somebody with long hair, they're covered in hair all over their chest and their arms. They're like hairy. They're they're like gross. Well, that's probably not the way it's used here. It's probably the idea is he wore a hairy garment uh, is one of the ways that it could very well be. And you say, well, what is that all about? Well, who do you think you are? And notice how he goes on. The king said to him in verse 9, he sent a captain of 50 with him. And he went with me and said, Behold, he was sitting on the top of the hill, the man in the girdle and the, and the hairy clothes. He said to him, O man of God, the king says, Come down. And Elijah replied to the captain, If I am a man of God, if I am a prophet, we would say, if I'm a man that belongs to God, let fire come down from heaven, consume you and your fifty. And guess what happened? Fire came down and consumed them. King's not satisfied with that. He sends another group of 50. If I'm the man of God, let fire come down and consume them. Boom. Finally, on the third group, got the message. The point is, that apparently is what prophets wore. They wore this. Consider another passage of the prophet. Consider Zechariah chapter 13. And this is something that I'd never really paid attention to until I was doing this study. That, yeah, the prophets, they had a look about them. They didn't wear the fancy robes of the priest. The priest had those beautiful garments that were glorious. And the head uh, dresses and all that type of stuff. That's not what the prophets wore. And so in chapter 13 and verse 1, there's this great prophecy that the fountain would be open and that sin would be taken care of because of the one they had pierced in the previous chapter. And we know that to be Jesus, right? So I want you to pick up with me in verse 2. So it will come about in that day when that has been offered, that would be in the time of Jesus, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land and they will no longer be remembered and I will also remove the prophets and the unclean spirit from the land. And if anyone still prophesies, then his father and mother who gave birth to him will say, You shall not live, for you spoken falsely in the name of the Lord. There would come a time when there would be false prophets, and the parents would say, Uh-uh, you're lying. So notice what happens here, verse 4. 
And it will come about in that day that the prophets will each be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. And they will not put on a hairy robe in order to deceive. They have been putting on the hairy robe to look like they were prophets. But they were deceiving. But they will be convinced. And they will actually prophesy without the priest, without the prophet's garment on. And you see that in the New Testament with Simon the sorcerer, don't you? He was putting on the show like he was this great thing of God, but then he was converted. And he changed. And so they had an attire. So you see somebody in uncomfortable clothes. That's a good indication that they were a prophet. And guess what? The people knew that. They knew that he wore that garment. They saw him, right? Here's another thing about John that was interesting. Is that John not only wore the garment of a prophet, he gave the message of a prophet. Most of the prophets didn't come in and say, hey, you guys are doing really good. Just wanted to encourage you to... To keep up the good work, really appreciate all everything you're doing for us, right? No, his message was different than any other prophet you would see in the Old Testament. Consider his message, right? He comes on the scene. If you're there in Matthew, the third chapter, we're going to see two things that his message really consisted of. You would see there in chapter 3 and verse 2, repent, which is the normal message of the prophets. Repent. But here's the difference. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The other prophets weren't going around saying that. They weren't saying the kingdom is here. They were saying the Messiah is coming at some point. The kingdom's here. And if you've been listening for that and you've been looking for that, that gets your attention. But notice the other side of this message that is different. If you've got your marker there, go to Luke, the third chapter. I want you to notice what he was saying to the people in verse 3. So he came into the district around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What's also new is not only repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's different. No other prophet had ever given that message to the people. You remember the only other time we see that word used in the Old Testament is with Naaman being cleansed of his leprosy. But here you have immersion that is being taught. And all these people are going out to him. We know that that was that way. They were coming out to him. They were listening to him. And John not only gave this message, he was consistent with the message. He was telling the people, you must repent. And you remember that one that he was even consistent with that got him in some serious trouble. That man that regarded him as holy, old Herod the Tetrarch. He still told it to him. He still told him what he needed to do, how he needed to repent. 
And so the people, they came from afar. You would see that in Matthew 3 and verse 5. They came all the way from Jerusalem, and all Jerusalem was coming out to him, and all Judea was coming to him. They wanted to hear what he had to say. So continue there in Luke chapter 3. I want you to see down in verse 10. So because he's a prophet, and because he's saying things, they come to him and they say, well, what shall we do? Okay, so you're telling me to repent. What's that mean I need to do, right? And so you got these different groups that come. And so he would answer and he'd say to them, the one who has two tunics, let him share with another. Or verse 12, the tax collectors come and they came to be baptized. He said, teacher, what shall we do? He said, don't extort. And all those different types of things. They wanted to know, okay, what should I do? And John told them, each one of them, what was necessary for their personal repentance. All the way up to the king. And we know that that is what got him in trouble. And consider verse 18 and verse 19 here of Luke 3. So with many other exhortations, encouragements, he preached the gospel to the people. But when Herod the Tetrarch was reprimanded by him. That's an interesting thing, right? I wonder, did the king go out to him? Or did he go to the king? I've often wondered that. I don't know. But anyway, he reprimanded the king because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done. King, you are not excused. You are not separate. You too need to repent. So verse 20, Herod also added this to them all. This was another wicked thing he did. And he locked John up in prison. John stuck to his message. I want you to see something else about him. Some were willing to listen to him. Some were willing to obey him. Those who were coming to ask, they obeyed him. They listened to him. And you would see in Luke chapter 7, as John's disciples, John is in prison, and John's disciples, they come to him and they say, are you the coming one or we should look for another? John says a little something about him. And I want you to go down to the end. Uh, around verse 29. After Jesus just said, no one's greater of of born of woman, he says in verse 29, when all the people and the tax collectors heard, they acknowledged God's justice. They called God right. How? Having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. Everyone saw that he was different and saw that he was the role of the prophet. Not everyone wanted to listen to him on that. Remember, that's one of the big questions. Jesus says, was John, is he sent from man or from heaven? And they knew he was a prophet. But they couldn't say he was a prophet because then Jesus said, well, then why didn't you listen to him? So they said, we don't know. Everyone knew. He was a prophet of God. And so some, they rejoiced in it for a little while. Jesus says, John bore witness of me, and he was a lamp. And they took joy in it for a little while. And there's an interesting thought about that, maybe. Maybe the idea of a little while is that they got tired of hearing from him. At first, he was this really good lamp, and then they didn't really like what he was saying anymore. Or maybe the way it was supposed to be. He was the lamp guiding them to Jesus. And when Jesus came on the scene, 
they left John happily and gladly to follow Jesus. I don't know exactly which way it's meant there, but they took pleasure and joy in him for a little while. And so because they recognized him as a prophet, that gets us to the third thing. That got them to wonder, is this the Christ? If you flip back there to Luke, the third chapter, you'll notice that something is said about the people in verse 15. While the people were in a state of expectation, and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ, they're hearing this kingdom is at hand, and they know the prophecies from the Old Testament. And they're expecting that the Messiah is coming. They wondered, is this Him? Well, we would learn a lot about that. You turn to John, the first chapter. There's different groups that want to know. As we just saw, the people wanted to know. And we would just call them just the general people. And the Jews wanted to know down in verse 19 of John chapter 1. And notice who they send to him in verse 19. This is also something I never noticed before. The first group that is called out as really questioning him from John's perspective. That the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Are you the Christ? Why send the priests and the Levites? It's his family. That's part of the people that he knows. And they go and ask this question, and he answers in the way he confessed. And he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. I'm not him. Well, they said, well, then are you Elijah? And they meant actually Elijah. And he said, no, I'm not Elijah. Well, are you the prophet? No, I'm not the prophet in the way that they would be looking for the prophet. He says, no, I'm not. Well, if you're none of those, then who are you? So verse 23, they've got to give an answer. He said, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. I'm not him. I'm just a voice. I'm just getting the way ready. That's all I'm doing. I'm preparing the way for the Lord. So verse 24, another group comes to him. The ones that we often think about the most, the Pharisees, they come and they ask him, okay, if you're not the Christ, then why are you baptizing? And if you're not Elijah, nor the prophet, by what authority are you doing these things? How and why are you baptizing? And so he said, 26, I baptize in water. But the one who comes after me, whom you do not know, it is he who comes after me. The song of the sandal I am not worthy to untie. No, it ain't me. My baptism is minuscule compared to him. And I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. You ever been in a situation like that? Where everyone's coming to you and they think you're it. They think you're the man or you're the woman. And you know you're not who they think you are. You ever have that temptation to be like, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's, I got some credit this week for something I didn't deserve. I, I, I did a pretty decent deed, right? Made someone's day. And it sure was not my idea. I kind of felt guilty about that, so I eventually came clean that it wasn't 
me because I was getting all this praise. And I think probably the only reason I did that is because I've been reading about John for too long. Because you see that about John. He's got all these people and he could have drawn the people to himself. He said, I'm just shouting. I'm just letting people know the Lord is coming. The Lord is offering freedom. And the interesting thing about John is that he also wondered about the Christ. He wondered who it was going to be. He said, I didn't recognize Him. Continue here in chapter uh, 1. As he says in verse 30, as he points to Jesus, he said, This is He on behalf of who I said after me comes a man who's higher rank than I, for He existed before me, and I did not recognize Him. I didn't know it was Him. And so verse 33, I did not recognize Him until, right? Until He baptized Him. And the Spirit came down and dwelt on Jesus in the form of that dove. And then He said, I knew. But here's the problem. John still questions later. When John is sitting in prison... And he sends his disciples to Jesus. And there's question about whether John doubted or if this was the benefit for John's disciples. But they come and they say, are you the coming one? Or should we expect another? I've often wondered about that. Did John doubt as he's sitting in that jail cell Am I even doing this for the right reason? And I tend to think he was doing it for his disciples' sake. Because in that sight, Jesus said, you go and you tell John what you've seen. And at that sight, he opened the eyes of the blind, and he made the mute speak, and the deaf hear. He performed all these miracles, and that would go back to the book of Isaiah. And they would have been like, we saw it for our own eyes. He's doing all these miracles. Because you remember the thing that set John apart was not miracles. Because John himself did not perform them. So what made him holy? And of course I didn't animate the last line. His job set him apart to God. He had that special job of getting the people prepared for when the Lord came. Do we have any responsibility kind of like that? where we have to prepare the people for when the Lord comes to be ready for Him, I would say that we do, right? His message was different. All flesh is as grass. If we went back to Isaiah 40, the thing in which the voice was crying out. But the Word of the Lord remains forever. Repent! You've got to change the root is laid at the, the axe is laid at the root of the tree, and it's going to be cut down. It's going to be thrown in the fire. You either repent and receive forgiveness, or you continue in your ways and receive judgment. And he said that with courage to everyone. That makes people different, doesn't it? When you're no respecter of persons, where you don't care who it is. You care about their soul. You say things that are going to get you in trouble. It's just all there is to it. Because you want to prepare them, get them ready. And maybe fourth, that character that stands out the most is his humility. 
could have just taken it. But that, that statement there in John chapter 3, I must decrease and he must increase. That's just the way it is. Less of me, more of him. We sing the song. You're not my followers. You're not my disciples. Follow him. This is him. And I tell you what, if we point people to Jesus and not here and not me, that's humility. That's my job. And people will notice a difference. And maybe they'll call us holy as well. But just because we're holy doesn't mean they listen. I didn't show you the rest of the verse there, Mark chapter 6 and verse 20, but it said, And Herod listened to him gladly. But Herod never gave up Herodias. He killed John for Herodias. People may look at you as holy, but that don't mean they're going to follow Jesus. You still be holy, for I am holy. Subject to the invitation in any way this evening, we'd ask that you come now as we stand and as we sing.